0: In the episode 53 of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast, I'm talking with Arjun Kalsi. He is the VP of growth for Polygon. Polygon is one of the world's largest blockchain crypto projects with market cap of over $8 billion at the time of recording this podcast. Polygon believes in Web3 for all. And Polygon is a decentralized Ethereum scaling platform that enables developers to build scalable and user-friendly DApps or decentralized apps with low transaction fees without ever sacrificing on security. Polygon has some of the largest partnerships in the world. For example, Instagram, Aridas, Reddit, Stripe, and many more. And in this wide and in this wide ranging discussion we talk about things like the network state, deflation, inflation, how building a company in web 3.0 is different to web, web 2.0, growth, customer acquisition and much much more. This episode is perfect for every cryptoskeptic and even a crypto bull. Hello innovators, explorers and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities, and my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building, what are they paying attention to, so you can take advantage of it, so you can benefit from it, however, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice, I would still highly encourage you to do your own research, I have nothing to sell you, so with that out of the way, let's get into it. It's great to have you on the show and I always have so much fun talking with you that yeah so so yeah we were just talking about store of value versus mm-hmm. keeping the economy running <laughs> and how right. I was just sharing with Arjun right now that how I didn't see the value in Bitcoin back in the days because I was thinking <laughs> of simply in the terms of transactions and the transaction volume and thinking that it is it is slow and it is deflationary why would anyone want to use a deflationary currency, you become like the joke on the guy who spent $10 million on a pizza or something. You know, I don't know if you remember that case, the famous case of bad. people in in like, I don't know, 10,000 Bitcoin bad. or something like crazy like that. And it's worth now absolutely insane amounts. And so it's like you, it stops people, any deflationary currency stops people from spending money. And so that's all I was thinking in terms of transaction so it's like you don't want to do transactions with a deflationary currency in fact that's why central banks around the world target one to two percent inflation rate so people keep spending money and so the money keeps flowing in the economy everyone stays employed everyone is happy as long as people are employed there are less
1: revolutions percent 100 percent and and you know I completely agree with this like you know line of thinking Sam and, and of course you know thank you for having me and it's always such a pleasure to connect with you when you think about it from a sense of fiscal policy Right, Like this is a, like a super important point because the thing is that when obviously Bitcoin was, you know, when, when you envisaged Bitcoin and when it was yeah. created and, and, you know, it to, to some sense also, I would say it's true for Ethereum as well when it was created. Like nobody mani- imagined a future of a, like, you know, what, what we today call the network state. Yes. Where, you know, you would have to run this kind of economy. It was mostly around solving problems around transparency, etc. It's only come today where we've realized that, you know, with blockchain, you can actually create like a globalized network state with its own economy, its own institutions, yes. and, and things like that. So, which is why, you know, without this foresight, you know, whatever the founders at the time thought was best is what they did. And and if you look at the way the economy is now gone, right? And when when you talk about those two concepts, right? Of store of value and then of exchange of goods. and Exchange
0: itself. of value, Yes.
1: Right, exchange of value. So, so you know, we've seen this very interesting transition where, you know, we started with Bitcoin, then there was Ethereum. And interestingly, now Ethereum also is moving towards becoming like a store of value with proof of stake. It's become a staking token. Yes. And and what we see now is that this entire evolution has led us to this point where today we have stable coins, which are now the premium, sort of, you could say, the or, or looked at in many cases as the ideal way to exchange, yes. you know, value or goods and services. And... And 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 I think off late, there was something interesting I was reading with now, Binance converting, you know, all the other types of stables. I think apart from USDT, everything else will now be auto converted to BUSD. So then yeah. you as such have now USDC, BUSD, USDT, you know, duking it out for stable coin. Like, you know, because people kind of realize that, okay, this is what's actually going to be running the economy. Like you said, right like the economy is going yeah. to run on this. And the others, Bitcoin, Ethereum will eventually then, start towards, you know, I mean, Bitcoin already has like considered like a store of value and people hold it, but it will be true for Ethereum as well at at some point, Yeah, probably already is for many. And yeah, so, so like, you know, we see this movement from, you know, we need to send people money for less to, you know, transparency and, you know, decentralization to now network state economy, where you now you need to think entirely differently in terms of, you know, design of not just network design, but economic design as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And also the other thing is, is like, I I would like to share my experience because I've been employing or hiring people overseas or around the world for now quite a few years, number of years. And Mm. it went from moving money using using banks to to PayPal, but then PayPal doesn't work everywhere. In a lot of African countries, it doesn't work. And now it's like so many developers are coming out of Nigeria and and Kenya and all sorts of places and, and Eastern Europe and Azerbaijan and all that. PayPal doesn't work. Stripe doesn't work. <laughs> so many things don't work. And then how do you pay them? So back in the days, it used to be Bitcoin, but then Bitcoin, you know, transaction fees could be high or or anything could there's all sorts of challenges with that and then it went to I've moved money in a three months again gas fees could be high so then you do but now it is uniform um because they don't want the fluctuation either no one wants fluctuation um fluctuation. so so now it's all just stable coin everyone wants to be paid in stable coins and it is so convenient you know it's one stable coin it's one usd or nearly there you know 0.999 cents or something like that or so it's such yeah, a such that,
1: a good facility <laughs> absolutely right a total game changer you know when it yeah. comes to like you know building like you said like you know truly global companies yes. where your developers your different business functions you know are, are spread across the globe and especially now we see with the growth of the gig economy right we going to see more yeah. and more acceptance and use of of you know let's say web3 based financial instruments and structures simply because they're the only ones which are scaling to this kind of requirement You know, versus possibly current physical structures, which still seem to be stuck, you know, equal parts, like, because, you know, the centralized way enables, you know, certain level of control, but equal parts also like, you know, stiff regulation, which has not evolved with the time and, and with the advent of technology, right? So, so that's why they will remain in, in certain place. And I think, yeah, with, with stable coins and, and other, and, and there are also other interesting types of stable coins. There's also FRAX. You know, and like other other attempts, like we saw with Terra Luna. What, like, what are,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, algorithmic, algorithmic stable coins.
1: Absolutely. Which absolutely. It absolutely.
0: seems like their reputation has been severely damaged after the Luna. Rather,
1: rather severe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no. The back And there's a big aftermath and, you know, collateral damage, bad episode. But, but I, th- I think the basic concept of why someone would want to do something like this, you know, makes sense to an extent, right? Yes. And it basically comes back to the same concept of, you know like when when economies were you know gold backed right so you could only print as much currency as you had gold and then later of course you know we abandoned that standard and now we measure gdp etc and there's inflation and and you know you have government bonds which you can then float for more currency but um, essentially if you look at the current stable coins now which are collateral backed let's say you have yes. you have something like usdc which is collateral backed one is to one for every dollar yes. it means you can only mint as much usdc as you have dollars right so you're actually back to the same problem which you had during the gold standard times Right. So the yeah. algorithmic stable coin guys, like those developers and scientists have yeah. decided that, hey, you know, we need to get away now from this system and have yeah. some sort of stable coin where this kind of gap doesn't exist. That the coin, either through code or through some mechanism, yes. you know, is, is able to be as stable as, let's say, a fiat currency and then becomes like a medium of exchange, which is kind of, you know, makes sense. So I understand why people are chasing yeah. this dream and why it's a worthy dream to chase. Right? Yeah. Because then you don't need this asset. You know, which scares the hell out of governments as well. Like, oh, now they don't need our asset anymore. Like, what's going on? Yeah,
0: yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. 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 Controlling the economy is sort of control. You know, it it is. Yeah, And one of the biggest sort of levers that the governments have. And it it becomes. Mm -hmm. And then once you remove that, then the only control is is the guns and muscle. Pretty much. (laughs) Which is (laughs) a bad place to be in. (laughs) Bad place Uh, to be in. Yeah. (laughs) So it, it is. Very interesting. And and the other thing is like, you know, when people talk about, and, and I ask a lot of guests about like, you know, where do you see in five years time or three years mm. time or two years time kind of a question. But then it is so hard because of the whole, you know, the skeuomorphic design and non-skeuomorphic design. It's like, you know, when Apple phone was brand new, um, mm. like 2007, 8, the icons looked like the physical version, like the bookshelf would look like a real Project. bookshelf. Yeah. And like, because it's like skeuomorphic design, because everything was just a copy of, digital version of something physical. But now most of the apps, you look, the icons, they look nothing because there is no real world equivalent. Like there was no there TikTok or there was no such thing as that. So Absolutely. they had to just make some design up or like Snapchat is like a ghost, you know, it's like <laughs> we weren't having ghosts. like <laughs> So it, it's because... Very interesting point. Yeah, it's like it eventually like when you talk to someone in 85 or 1991 with the whole brick Motorola or Nokia and then uh-huh. and then you ask them how do you envision what would we be doing with the mobile phone so no one would say that in 2016 we'd be taking pictures of our breakfast from our that phone and sharing it with someone we don't know around the world. It's like, why would you want to do that? It's like, same thing. It's like, we don't know how crypto and all this innovation is going to lead 100%. in five years time and how we'll be using this, how governments or uh, what sort of state it would even create. 100%, 100%. I totally agree with that. Like, you know, it's it's, it's so interesting,
1: right? That so, so there are two two concepts roughly at play, right? So, yes. so if you look at like, and, and which I also like, you know, wanted to also talk about, because, you know, when you look at what's happening in the future, you kind of get a sense. So. For example, if you look at like Instagram, right, or if you look yes. at some of these software solutions, which have, you know, yes. succeeded, like Instagram is a piece of software, so a social network, but Instagram succeeded on the back of a hardware innovation, right, which was the mobile, which was the mobile camera, mobile right? the camera fact pretty much. Cheapest phone has a camera in it, which allowed everybody to snap photos, yeah. then they, know, they wanted to know what they would do with it. So then people started using filters, sharing, all sorts of things, memes, etc. And now through the point where, you know, it's, uh, you know, allowed companies like Instagram to create, yes. you know, tremendous value when centralized or decentralized, but yes. in general, like, you know, this, so that's why I also feel that the same thing is going to happen with the metaverse, you know, concept as well. Like, you know, people have already started building out the software, but it's going to be this hardware innovation, which is truly breakthrough, let's say 3d VR glasses or some sort of yes. technology, which will really make this very ubiquitous. So I sometimes feel that many of these software let's say businesses are built on the back of hardware innovations. Like, you know, mobile yeah. data is there because certain hardware innovations, yes. similarly like a phone camera and, and you know, now we're seeing 5G, 6G internet and, you know, optic fiber cables. And, and and similarly with this, so I think Metaverse will follow that trajectory. So there's this concept which you see of, you know, many of these software solutions only existing because of some hardware innovations. So sometimes if we can track the hardware innovations, you can get a sense of the direction in which the software either is moving or should move, right? So it's something like that. The second thing is also what you talked about is a rapid pace of innovation, right? And, and this is why I feel Web3 is very interesting. See, if you look at Web3, right? All the code is open source. Yeah. Right. So, so for example, just as a comparison, like let's say you wanted to create WhatsApp, like, like you found WhatsApp to be great, you want to create something like WhatsApp, you would have to write the entire stack all over again. Yes. Right? You would have to create from scratch. In Web3, that's not true. Right, yeah. so if, you, if, you have, if you want to do some, if, let's say you see Aave, right? And you see borrowing and lending. Yes. And then you decide, I want to do better borrowing and lending and I have some idea about that. Yeah. You can take the same design, a tried and tested design. You can iterate on that and then you can create a new design. So this iterative innovation, right, which is a byproduct of the code being open source is so fast and quick, right? Because now the code is open. You can just keep iterating, keep iterating. And this is why Web3 moves so quickly. And yeah. and you kind of understand, like, you know, as, as a software engineer myself, right? Kind of understand the power of open source code because there was a time yeah. when I first started working, I used to wonder like, what is the point of open source? There's no licensing, nobody can make money. But yeah. in Web three, right, is when I saw the real power exactly. of open source. Code. Right. this iterative innovation, you know, which then yes. team rolls into this absolute crazy global phenomena where you know we are seeing like you know innovation every three months, which you know, yes, it's so difficult to keep a track of, you know, all the things which are happening. But but this is why I find Web three so exciting, and that's why I also feel that network states to an extent will reach like their true fruition in terms of the value which you know which which they will add in the future we will get there much faster because of this iterative innovation which is only possible in web 3 and in web 2 there's literally no such parallel as one might say yeah yeah this is like
0: things I find really interesting. It's like, it's so, so interesting because before this, I've I've once in my life, I've like previously, I used to own a agency where we used to create minimum viable products, like MVPs and stuff in the web tool world. And so there, yeah. even in the web tool, so there was, you know, you can use APIs. So say you want, you don't have to make your whole payment solution. You can use Stripe's API, connect to Stripe using their API, but then you had limited to what that API gives you access to in that software. Right. So if you want Google Maps, you have to use Google Maps API every time, pay commission money to Google Maps. So if we create an app and suddenly gets a lot of users, we are paying 50,000 a week or that founder is paying 50,000 a week to Google. that Because Google Maps, that's where they make money from, not from end users, but from apps using that. So so it was that, but. Web3 takes it to the next. It's like on steroids. So you you don't need that API. You don't need that. So it's like we Mm -hmm. have like, just like I think I was sharing with you last time, what we do is like at cookbook.dev is like a open source smart contract marketplace. So say you like Board of Yacht Club, you like that project or you can search based on project. You Mm -hmm. copy their smart contract or... Not even copy. Even if you don't know how to code, you can go mm-hmm. and edit it in a user that's interface great. and deploy it straight away and and manage it and stuff. So it is so fast. And
1: oh, that's great. That's great.
0: What's interesting is we thought of like okay, even future maybe let's create a. Create a token, and maybe we'll have to incentivize developers mm-hmm. to submit their smart contracts, or you know, mm-hmm. do security oh, audits ahead. on this and stuff. Mm-hmm. We haven't even done that, and people are already contributing and uploading their smart contracts and stuff. That's and amazing. because that's what developers do, it's like right. uh, like sharing on Stack Overflow. You know, they 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 do that. They they love contributing to open source sort of pro- and more so in Web three. So yeah. it it is yeah. Go ahead. And it, it kind of shows you like, you know, gives you a sign of things to come, right? When yes. you
1: start seeing some of these, like, you know, so let's take the same Google Maps example, yes. right? Now, Google Maps currently is run like an application, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like an application. There is an API which, you know, yes. can serve with innovation. And the problem is that the the onus of innovation, yes, using, let's say Google Maps is now on Google, right? Yeah. Their team has to do innovation and do those kind of things. But let's imagine, like, how you would do this in Web3. In Web3, Google Maps would not be an app. It would actually be a platform. Right? So, so let's say Google would provide, let's say Google Maps as an infrastructure piece. Right? That we have all the satellites, we are taking all this data and we are servicing this information. Now, value creation would be done by external developers. So Google would now not be in charge of all the innovation. The innovation would be bought by other developers. They would be like, this is great. We have this piece of infrastructure which services, you know, global information about, like, you know, maps, right? What are some of the fun things we could do with it? And then, people would like, you know, others would build this all types of different economies on Google Maps. Like, you
0: know, oh yeah, yeah, they, they would, build, yeah, augmented reality stuff all
1: sorts and of, all sorts of things build. on it. Yes. Which they they can't because they're limited by this API, right? Yeah. And, and by making this an infrastructure piece, and then by basically taking, like having, let's say a very small take rate of, let's say like, 0.1% or even 1% or 5% or whatever have you, across hundreds of thousands, if not millions of businesses, which would be running just on this maps infrastructure, right would now let's say in at least you know i have to run the math here but i would see i feel that over a lifetime of the product or of the infrastructure it would create far more value than it is today
0: oh right. absolutely and I, absolutely yeah. and and google maps we are talking about it because it's successful if it wasn't yes. it, it would be completely different story it's like in the last year Google has now 182,000 people on their books as employees. Last okay. uh, a year ago they had 150 something. So they they something hired like 37,000 or something in the um, in the last yes. the thing is that now that the economy globally in the tech world mm-hmm. is not doing that well, they are soon going to have pressure to to lay off people because a lot of people believe that Google could be run by just 2,000 or 3,000 people. They don't need 200,000 developers. Oh, really. Or like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean right. that's what the the view of like mm. a lot of people is. I mean, it's only when things go bad that's when VCs start to have a view <laughs> opinions like that. Also, I do feel that you know, even automation
1: and several other technologies, you know, have have yes. also become like much better with time. So I do feel that in certain situations, yes, you don't do, maybe you do not need as many people as right? as but many I mean, people Google being the hotbed of innovation should have known that before they hired like yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no no it, it just it de- becomes a corporate any company that lasts long enough they start to work like like a corporate it's kind of like the book innovators dilemma Christian clayton's book yeah it's uh, kind yes. of they they all follow the the same route so they have to and then whenever things like this come like you know they are going to lay off i i can guarantee it they are going to lay off staff I'm in the in the next course. next three to six months, they will be laying off tens of thousands of developers. And at those sort of times, companies often sometimes even cut things like these, like, you know, R&D things and research things. And so so when it's not open source, that's when Mm -hmm. a lot of the innovation dies, uh, when it's centralized in a company like that. Yeah. So I I think,
1: yeah, the Web3 world needs to now step up, you know, and absorb this, this very talented and, you know, like workforce, right? I think this could be I think it's gonna be a huge loss, I think, for Google to lose this kind of brain trust and talent. I, I and not just Google, I feel that many companies are going to take this route. I also feel the same, Sam, that you know, I'm getting yeah. these kind of signals from the market. But like I said, it's a great opportunity for web three companies to get right like, great talent, like all the ones who are struggling to get developers, etc. I think this is the best yeah. time to get all of these developers, you know, you'll be able to not just, you know, help them get employed, you know, and yeah. ensure that they stay on their feet, but also get access to really good talent. Like this is the fang talent, right? Like everybody wants yeah. to be you know, uh, oh, sorry. I, mang now, mang company. Or whatever <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. You,
1: know, you will get this talent, and I think the Web3 world can absorb this because there are that many vacancies. And I feel that you know it'll be great. Like all the innovators now will be here. So yeah,
0: the other thing that Web3 companies have an advantage over Web2 companies is that mm-hmm. Web3 is open from day one to being remote. Oh like, yes,
1: yes. They, remote first.
0: Remote no, first, and yes. and it's an exception that. Everyone is in just one location for a Web3 company. I have not yet seen a single right. Web3 company that is in all in just one location under one roof. But in Web2 startups, I still see small startups. I still see yeah. all yeah. the time. Remember,
1: uh, you know, when we were raising around, round, right, we used to get this question: Where is your HQ Where is the HQ? Like, we, we don't have uh, HQ like yeah. There is no all over the world. And, you know. The home is the HQ. <laughs> like, right. you and, know, and you could see some VC squinting like, oh, what does this mean? Like, you know, but. <laughs> But 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 yeah, I mean you're right, you're right. Yeah, it's a sign of Web three functions.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's a sign of Web three functions, and it is very hard for them to see how and and that it could be successful. Like there, there are still a lot of people who doubt remote and stuff. But Mm -hmm. I feel like people in Web three work as hard as anyone, and they have more productivity. and, yeah. and the innovation, the rate of innovation is faster in web three than I have mm-hmm. ever seen in the last 20 years of my life in any industry, in any space, in any vertical. <laughs> oh,
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, like for me, I feel that, uh, see a lot of CEOs talk about this, right? Like, you know, challenges with remote workforce. I faced those challenges as well, right? You know, where, you know, from time to time, we've had to travel, sit together to, you know, get certain yes. things done. But like, I don't see that as a blocker. Like, you know, yeah. for me, I look at it as a problem to solve, right? Yeah. The problem now is how do we get the same efficiency as you would get from an office, right? So this, what does this mean? This means we need to create new kinds of tooling, yes. right? This We need to create new kinds of structures within companies which allow for yes. something like this, right? This means companies need to be more cross-cultural, more accepting, yes. you know, of, of different thoughts, different beliefs. So company cultures need to evolve. So for me, like, at, at you know, especially at, at Polygon and, you know, this is the kind of thing, like how I saw it. I saw it as this is a problem which we need to solve and how do we solve this? Like what what technology do we need? What kind of culture do we need? What should our hiring practices be like? You know, and those kind of things, right? And 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 I feel that if you look at the problem that way, then you will work towards finding a solution. But if you have it blocked in your mind that it's not going to work, then, then you know, it's, I, it's not going to work. I feel that like you are then missing out on a truly, you know, on building a truly global company. You know. Oh which yeah, you got to... yeah. They...
0: You, you need, you need, I mean, it is, you know, there is no alternative. It's like, why do you want to access only the 10,000 people based in that geographic location yes. in that city and not yes. access the 25 million developers around the world? You want the <laughs> best UX designer, you know? You, I mean, that's what I would want. If I'm starting a company today, I want the mm-hmm. best technical writer. I want the best marketer. I want the best salesperson. And mm-hmm. it's not necessary that they will be based in the same, town let alone the same country so I, it's yeah you know it becomes
1: stronger with the democratization of education also
0: you see yeah. there was a time when you know
1: colleges in the u.s taught something different colleges in india colleges in europe colleges in africa today everybody learns from youtube or possibly open source yeah. sources right so actually everybody's education and skill level is kind of getting baselined with time colleges yeah. don't matter anymore like people are learning from different sources and everybody from the let's say the most developed country in the world to the least developed country in the world are now on the same page when it comes to access to education material. So that's why when we hire globally, right,
0: the skill levels are roughly the same. Like there was a time, there was a parity, but that's not true anymore. So in fact, in fact, you can find better talent these days in developing Mm -hmm. countries than in developed countries, especially in the the technical spaces and stuff. I mean, of course, they will eventually move to somewhere better or their country (laughs) will progress fast enough.
1: Um, Uh, I think this uh, concept of thinking like a global citizen, right? You know, is also coming across. Like you know, when we talk about digital nomads, where essentially you don't, like you have a passport and you may have some cultural sort of you know uh, alignment, yeah, you know, ties and things like that. But you don't think like that. Like you, you think globally. Like you're trying to see where the opportunities are. And many people, many times, you're just traveling for the experience so that you can learn other things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this type of thinking, I think, is going to become more prevalent with time. So people will think more like global citizens versus. Let's yeah. see. You know. And
0: and you know what yeah. the other thing I have seen is that when I talk with people, like I grew up in India, I studied computer science in India, and then I've been out mm-hmm. of India for nearly 20 years. I mean, I go for holidays and catch up with family and stuff. But what I have seen is that when I talk with with developers or people in tech world or, or VCs or anyone in India, um, they sound the same in their in their thought process and their and and everything as people Mm. in san francisco or or anywhere else in the world and i see the same trend when i talk with founders and people in in the tech world in nigeria it's Mm. they're so ambitious and they're so forward thinking and they love education and training and everything and and it's like i i run sort of workshops on these sort of um topics on smart contracts and things like that and and People from all around the world join. There is no such like one geography is stronger or anything. It's becoming so equal that it's amazing to see. And and I don't know why web2 startups are not utilizing <laughs> all this talent. What I'm <laughs> as saying. You're missing out on, on the best
1: talent. Right? And then like you said, you know, the reason why everybody is similarly ambitious is because like I said, education is baseline, right? Also media, right? By if you, for example, just watch, I don't know, Prime Video, Netflix or whatever, yes. YouTube, whatever yeah. have you. Yeah you already are becoming culturally aware yeah. of what's happening in other geographies, right? Yeah. Earlier, you would have to travel to that country. And be like, Oh, this is how it is. But, but you don't have to do that today. Like, I'm not saying it's the same as being in the other country. But yeah. there's a level of cultural appropriation which you're able to achieve just because of all the media you consume, right? So to an extent, people's thoughts tend to converge globally towards, like, you know, a particular type of, like, outcome. And which is why everybody's yeah. similarly ambitious. Like, they have similar thoughts on, you know, where they want to be, which I think is truly interesting. And you're right. Like web two, I think is losing out.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm. That's why I'm still super bullish on on Web three. And having talking about bullish on Web three, I'm also super bullish on Polygon. <laughs> so tell me about what you guys are doing at at Polygon, especially with the zk rollups and and like zero knowledge proof things and stuff.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So so I think uh, you know it's, it's been a pretty wild ride for the last two years. Like I remember when we started, with we like what barely twenty people to the point today where we have got almost close to about four hundred odd, you know folks mm-hmm. spread across the globe. As a company, we've become larger, but I think what has also, you know, happened is that, you know, as a company, we've also come to realize that today we have the resources, the talent, et cetera, to really like, you know, build the kind of Web3 infrastructure and the company of, let's say, tomorrow, right? Or what, yes. what, what it has to be, which is why just last year itself, right? I remember, in fact, if I were to take you, go down that road, this was around December, 2020. And possibly around January 21, where already, like, I remember talking to Sandeep at the time, we had already identified, like, we looked at all the different scaling tech out there and we realized that ZK rollup is, has the most potential and completely underdeveloped and people are saying it's five years away, etc. But what we also kind of realized is that the reason it's five years away is because there's not enough investment, right? There are not enough people building, right, you know, on, on ZK. And if we could solve that, then we could greatly accelerate the timeline. And, and I think this is what kind of sets the culture of Polygon to an extent apart from, let's say some of the other companies where if you look at all the four founders right now, of course, you know, we've acquired other companies and we've you know, also come on board. But if you look at like, like Sandeep, JD, Anurag, Mihailo, like yeah. all of these guys are from developer backgrounds. Like, you know, I was, I was in charge of business development and growth. And I also come from software engineering. So all of us actually come from developer backgrounds, right? So we understand how important it is to build the base fundamental technology right, on which you are going to be building these kind of new kinds of economies, right. So it was very clear to us that this has to be the major focus versus, let's say, you know, a lot of fancy, you know, marketing and grip trapping and all of that, like, this is kind of where we need to sort of make a different decision for, for Polygon. If Polygon has to become sort of, you could say the torchbearer of Web3 innovation and building for the future. So we spent about a billion dollars you know, acquiring different companies, talents, you know, in the space. And and and, and through this, we were able to greatly accelerate the timeline of ZKEVN, which is why it was quite like, you know, surprising and shocking for everybody. When, you know, like we were able to come up with a test net. It's, it's I think it's, it's not uh, like the code is freely available. It's not fully open source yet. I think it's still testing. We're still evaluating. The test net is working flawlessly for now. We'll have a production grade system very soon. It'll again be fully open source because we're very committed to that. So I think at a technical level by putting enough resources, by having the kind of structure within our company where it's always innovation first, we've been able to get ourselves to a point where, you know, we've been able to now, you know, bridge that gap or that timeline of being able to now take Ethereum to the next level. Where with the combination of, you know, ZK rollups along with, let's say, data availability, you know, uh, solutions, we'll be able to create like Validium proofs, right? So you've got like, smart contract processing power here, you have all the data available here and you just continuously creating proofs and pinging that on Ethereum. And then Ethereum becomes like, let's say the most perfect global settlement layer because again, yeah. super secure, very decentralized. So this kind of future, right, where you can, I would not say achieve Web2 performance, I think there's a lot more research which has to go into there, but start converging towards that point where Web the delta between a Web2 scale performance and Web3 scale performance becomes small enough where it makes more sense to be decentralized than centralized you see like currently centralized in terms of just pure processing etc has a very clear advantage yes. right and, and being decentralized and transparent has a very clear advantage but if you can bridge that performance gap then all sorts of new possibilities are are, are possible right and it's, it's it's our responsibility now at polygon as we see it is to you know build for this future is to be the torch of innovation is to be the torch bearers of of the ethereum ecosystem and try our hardest and the best to be able to build the kind of infrastructure which then is able to bring about global mass adoption, right? Which is like, if you look at the partnerships we have, so for example, Reddit, yes. right? Reddit, NFT is such a huge hit, right? 3 million markets, more wallets than OpenSea, right? Yes. In literally like no time. And, and what is the most exciting part? Like, you know, NFT is being traded, big value. No, it's the fact that so many of these 3 million users have experienced... NFT for the first time, like they, they've never, they don't know what an NFT was. I mean, they don't even call it an NFT, they call it a digital collectible, which is accurate, frankly speaking. Yeah, yeah. But but for the first time, and 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 this is powerful. You see, this is what will change the world. When you put this into the hands of a person for the first time, yeah. and then they start thinking like, what is this? Like, how do yeah. I use this? What what, what what, does this mean? What are the other kind of digital collectibles out there? If I have this, what else can I have? right? Yeah. What does it mean for my community? And and this is where the magic starts. This is when people start to discover these concepts, start thinking Web3. And I think this is super exciting. And if you look at the partnerships which you've had, Reddit, you know, now with Meta, Starbucks, again, yeah. you know, such a huge like network of stores and, and such a big community, a new yeah. bank, one of the largest banks in like yes. 70 million users in, in South America, many more announcements are on the way. Robinhood is also going to go live, I think full production very soon. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, you know, this for me is going to be really interesting that at Polygon, we've been able to like, you know, bring, you know, Web3 into the lives of users for the first time, you know, either through DeFi yeah. or through Amazon. and I think this, this really has the, you know, the power to truly sort of, like I said, accelerate that timeline towards, you know, true global Web3 adoption. So a lot of our plans around technology and business are now coming together. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to be a very exciting year the next year and, and the year after that, as we continue to, you know, double down on, you know, our, our innovation ability to be able to, you know, be, and, and be able to build the best tech. And at the same time, you know, our, our, you know, globally now recognized business ability where we are able to, you know, continuously forge partnerships, which, you know, which are bringing more and more thousands and if not millions of users into Web3.
0: Yeah yep so you know i have a question so like i talked with quite a few different founders in this space in this space and especially in the evm <laughs> ecosystem mm-hmm. and stuff because our product also works on the evm ecosystem and all that and some of them are like super excited about even before the merge mm-hmm. even, because you know merge was like for four years it was just six months away or six weeks away That's always right. <laughs> it took so long <laughs> so I used to talk with but they've they've always been optimistic and so excited about the whole Ethereum sort of ecosystem because merge they see as only the first part of the yes. five part sort of you know the surge the verge the purge and the splurge uh-huh. I, I cannot describe I can explain all of them so don't uh-huh. ask me but, but I know that by the end of it it yeah. is like aiming to reach 100,000 plus transactions per second yes. and things like so- that that sort of speeds and stuff it, it will take few Quite a few years because Ethereum does move slow because they prioritize security over everything else. So, do you think how will that impact? Will how will that impact Polygon? So, so one thing. So, so the short answer is
1: that if you imagine Ethereum as a trans as the yes. final settlement layer, if the final settlement layer becomes faster and cheaper with time, yes, our ability to put proofs onto Ethereum, right, with our layer two chain and the data availability sitting right here and yes. you know our ability to put proofs onto Ethereum greatly improves right so actually it's really good for any kind of layer two ecosystem that Ethereum becomes more performant with time but, but there's another way of answering this question right and let me in fact let me grab my mobile phone and,
0: yeah uh, yeah sure sure uh, go ahead
1: right and you know what let's do this together do you have your phone with you yes I do alright can you open up the calculator
0: yeah hold on that right so let's I do guess. this together yes yes
1: All right. So your calculator is open. All right. So, so, all right. Perfect. Yeah. So what does Ethereum at like its most optimum output, right? What we're looking at is 100,000 DPS. Yes. Right. So let's put 100,000 there. Yeah. All right. Then let's multiply that with 86,400, which is the number of seconds in a day. Yeah. Okay. So if you press equal, now you get the theoretical total number of transactions you, the entire system could do in a day. Yes. Now, you divide that by, let's say, 10 million. 10,000,
0: 100,000, million, 10 million. Yeah, 860.
1: So that means if Ethereum, yeah, so so this means if Ethereum scales to 10 million users, only 10 million users, you can only do 864 transactions per user in a day, right? Which is with all the gaming, all the DeFi, everything included, you can only do 864 transactions right? This is where 10 million users, Android has over 2 billion human users, yeah. right? Not count IoT devices and everybody else. So yeah. everybody, you know, 100,000 TPS sounds like a very large number, like 100,000 transactions per second it's solved. But if you just do the math, right? Yes. You, the answer is right there in front of you that if you want to go into 100 million, 500 million, 1 billion, 2 billion, 3, 3 billion users, there is, there's no way that this base infrastructure will be able to cope with that kind of traffic, which is why layer yeah. two will always exist. Because what's going to happen is you will have, let's say, you know, multi-million dollar transactions or settlements or something like that. Yes. Those are what will happen most probably on Ethereum, right? But your base transactions, all your gaming, movie, ticketing, yes. you know, all of this other stuff is going to happen on layer two where the bulk of the transactions go. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like how, yeah. So, so this is kind of like, you know, what we see the future is going to be. So if you just do the math, Yes, you know, it's very clear, right? And it's obvious what the case for layer two is.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, That's, that's fantastic. It was because I always thought that, you know, I mean, this is coming from the Web two and somehow my mind always goes back to thinking about the web two <laughs> side of things and how it's been done. And that I always thought that there would be like our phones. Not everything is processed on AWS. Yeah. A lot of the things get processed on the phone, and then only awesome. some packets are sent back and forth. Uh, yeah. And and that's why we want you know A fourteen bionic chip, whatever whatever Apple marketing says every time or <laughs> two two nanometer wide. <laughs> yeah, things and all that anyway. <laughs> anyway, so so a lot of the... So I thought the same thing will happen with Web3, that Web3 will have a, a, some local components and then some server side, like server side, which is mm. Ethereum, and then some... But then I, I completely understand what you're saying is that, that there will be layer two because there's still, despite that some local, what you call, not, not transactions, but processing, but despite mm. that, it, it won't scale to maybe... It well, that's a great analogy. To,
1: so if you consider Ethereum as being the data center and if you consider your device as being, let's say, layer two, what you will see is that all the small, like, you know, calculations which you need to do, yes, exactly. etc. are done by your phone, right? Yeah, yeah. What is doing bulk of the, like, calculations? Yeah. But anything heavy goes to the data center.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So this is kind of like how it's going to be the relationship between Ethereum as the final settlement, ultra secure, unbreakable layer and then layer two, which is doing the bulk of the transactions, which have yeah. no business being on Ethereum because they simply aren't that valuable. Yeah, right? all the yeah. five dollar, hundred dollar, all the way up to hundreds of thousands, if not even million dollar transactions will go into layer two, especially with zk rollups, right? Because you have yes. almost identical or very, very close to almost security, identical yes. security. So then you yeah. might see bonds like multi hundred million dollar yeah. bond etc. might go onto Ethereum, but then you might see all your mutual funds, all the other fintechs, everything operating on you know on this kind of a layer, yeah. right? So 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 it's something like that. So that's why I feel that like layer two will always be there and the more performant the layer one technology is the better it is for layer two because then our ability is yes, yes. you know let's say if you were talking terms of transaction finality and the transaction being file final once it's committed on ethereum that improves greatly right it's yeah to put proofs and and you know we can optimize in different ways so yeah so i think it's great for for yeah you know, the-
0: i i already think that in so many ways web3 Mm-hmm. ecosystems are getting faster than web2 yeah. like the transactions and stuff are getting faster I, every day i meet new solutions or people building new solutions in the oh, yes. space also, that are
1: l1s are being built these days yes
0: <laughs> no not only l1s but like even like people building on top of l2s and stuff oh, yes. as well like yes, uh, yeah. that that the solutions are already on par, if not slightly faster than than web two. It will ha- they will have to be 10x better than web two for people to to move. That just so happens every time. You know, things have to be like 10x better before people who have who are set in their ways will change yeah. their ways. So so yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm I'm super optimistic about so what's what's in the in the short term, what's next for Polygon? So
1: I think short term, if I were to talk about, let's say, next three to six months, I think, you know, yes. the production rollout of ZK rollup is is going to happen. I think that's going to be super important. We're a big milestone for Polygon as an ecosystem. Then, of course, more partnerships, because I think what's happened with Meta, with Reddit, and, you know, these kind of companies like Starbucks now getting into Web3. Now every company in the world wants to figure out what their Web3 roadmap is going to be, right? And some so, are ready to execute today. Some want to do it six months later. But everybody now, you know, earlier it was like they want to have a plan. Now they need to have a plan. And be ready yes. for this.
0: Oh, know look, I, I know every nearly every government is looking at Absolutely. at Web3 because they know they're, they have to integrate it in their systems in some way, in, because in. they want the the tax revenue going through it and not losing out on it. So they are all looking at it. and the thing is major large corporates won't won't adopt it. Until there is certainty because they cannot price the risk at the moment. That's true. They have to like their consultants want to price, you know, what's like, what if the regulation changes and we had to completely redo all of our systems and we had to spend 20 million in redoing all of our systems. So we, we won't oh, touch true. it.
1: That's a, that's a good point. Actually, this is like often not discussed when people yeah. talk about, you know, lethargy with governments and with, you know, big companies, there's a huge amount of spend yes. and jobs and like, Things at play, you know, which need to be rationalized in some sense before, yeah. you know, pull the trigger on such a decision. So I, I you know, having come from Web2 myself and having, you know, yes. worked in such companies, I realized that it's not so easy. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy for, you know, the, the Gen Z folks in <laughs> oh my God, like, like government don't get anything. That's, <laughs> but spend some time there. You kind of get a sense of why yeah like yeah that, so uh, it's like
0: and, i mean people, everyone you know oh, all the medical records will be on chain it, it's not okay so hosp- the reason why a lot of hospitals all around the world use legacy systems is because mm-hmm. for one state or even in like any kind con- any developed country you <laughs> know they have like 5-10 million records of people of so much medical records for every person to even move one hospital like one major sort of chain of mm-hmm. thing they have to spend over 100 million in just software upgrading 100%. Uh, upgrading it so it's like it's such a big risk they can't just and they, they have like such a massive budget yearly budget of 100%. software that yeah. they can't just change and then retrain all their doctors oh, all that, the retrain their nurses all
1: the all their then, transfers
0: then oh. yeah yeah so it, it's massive it's massive they can't just it's like a 5-10 year thing anything for any corporate and by that time the staff was making those decisions has left and then they have to start uh, that cycle they, again
1: they, they've joined a the web3 company yeah
0: that's right <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't know, but, but no, I, I do agree with you. I think, I think you know, if you want to see just sequence of steps, definitely one is going to be first digitization has to happen, right? And we're already seeing that with, you know, going from on-prem to cloud, digital transformation. I think this has to happen first. This is a precursor to us then, yeah. you know, because first you have to have to have the information in a centralized place before you become fully decentralized, right? Otherwise, there's no rollback, there is no sort of protection. So, so I do understand that in the real world, there's a sequence of steps which have to be followed, but I'm optimistic that you know, as you've seen, you know, every new technology which comes yes. takes a decade lesser than the previous one, you know, to sort of yeah. achieve, right? Yeah. So I feel that uh, if you look at the migration of like, you know, from on-prem to cloud, if you go all the way from 2005, when people first started talking about it to today, where it's obviously it's on cloud, like you, know, you can't yes. imagine on-prem. I think the Web3 adoption like curve will be a lot steeper in the sense, I feel it'll happen a lot earlier.
0: Yeah, uh, it will. And, it will.
1: Uh, I, I do feel so. Yeah. So that's think- why... Like, For Polygon, for us, this has now become a big priority, which is helping organizations, you know, be able to figure out what their Web3 roadmap needs to be, what they need to build, how they need to build it, because the guys who can bring in those millions of users and and mass adoption is the goal. So working backwards from there is something which we have to do. So, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, no, 100% agree. I mean, that's why we we created this product because we wanted more Web2 developers to move to Web3 developers. It's like we were shocked. We were shocked with the numbers. It's like there's something like 20 odd thousand Web3 developers and nearly 30 million Web2 developers. <laughs> so
1: big. Yeah, there's a big disparity there. And I,
0: I do feel that with better tooling,
1: yeah. like you know what you're building as well. Um, yeah. And uh, you know I think this will become a lot faster. I, I do see it will. Of,
0: it will. Yeah. So it's, I think, I think, yeah, yeah. It's like nothing moves as fast as like Web3 stuff. I mean, I, even though we've said that because it's like, I I do feel like people work all the time and people, because people are okay to working remote and stuff. And, and some people even say it's called Web3 because three is the number of hours you get to sleep in a day. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you would brutal. know when, when you guys were in the early stages and building, oh, stages, dude, an yeah, oh. it, it's yeah, it's crazy. So uh, so look, look, it's, it's fantastic. How can, if, uh, do you have a ask? Are you looking for anything? If anyone is Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, well, I think definitely. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Polygon ecosystem, number one, you know, we've got so many dApps, literally tens of thousands of dApps, yes. um, you know, in our ecosystem, all of whom want to recruit. So, you know, we've actually put together a page for recruitment and I would encourage people to you oh, know, just I spam the def- board.
0: I and definitely put this in the, in yes. every description, everywhere this goes. I'm going to,
1: 100%, to right. So down. now,
0: I'm
1: Yeah. So, so there's so many start this in our ecosystem. At Polygon, of course, you know, we've got a great pipeline of talent, you know, yes. but, but our ecosystem needs, you know, needs help. So many dApps are raising funding. All of them need to hire engineers, staff, yes. um, you know, and, and also a lot of non-engineering talent, right? So this is the other part of Web3 where everybody feels that if you're not a developer, then Web3 is not for you. That's not true. Right. You know, community management, like one of the hallmarks. Of yes. Web trace product community. Product. Yeah. Yes. And, and I tell a pe- lot of people this also, like, you know, that these roles are so important that like, if you looked at the evolution of companies, right. In the 80s and 90s, you know, up till even yes. 2000, it was always the head of sales, which became CEO, right. Because driving yeah. business was important. Then we saw this, you know, now this era of technologists, like, you know, Sundar Pichai. You know, yes. developer becoming CEO, Satya Nadella, like these kind yeah. of guys. Cloud guy becoming CEO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the tech guy now is becoming CEO, right? Because now understanding tech and tech innovation is important.
0: But I feel that in Web3, the CEOs are going to be the community leaders. 100%. Always. 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 It comes from the, from the employees, you know, like the management yeah. comes from employees and that management goes on to become sort of CEO. So that's what I tell people that this is how important the tech, like non tech roles are. Like, I, I, I truly feel
1: that in big Web3 companies is going to be the head of community, which yes. will have, the, you know, best shot at being like the leader of the entire organization because he understands he or she understands the community yes. the best. Right. So, so this is kind of why I believe that even if you're in a non-technical, let's say marketing role, community role, you must apply. So keep an eye out, you know, Web3 needs a lot of talent. And, you know, I think, you know, people are looking to start out their careers, people are looking for career change or people are curious about, you know, what the world of tomorrow might be like, this is where you need to be yes so so that's what is definitely the most important message yeah i would, I would believe outside of that of course you know i, I would also say that you know uh, what we're seeing time and time again is with technology is that you know regulations are always behind technology like e-commerce yeah. came first regulations came later right yeah. and that's true for every technology and every. we can see in web3 that regulations are catching up really quickly right yeah. so and and i feel that there are no good or Bad regulations, yeah. There might be some tough regulations, but any regulation being put in place means that the lawmakers are thinking about it, that they're discussing yeah. these, right? And that for me is automatically a win, right? Yeah. So I think other, you know, message I'd like to really put out there is that I feel that, you know, because of market conditions, because of certain things, some yeah. leaders say, like people tend to have a mixed, like you know, opinion on whether they should choose Web three as a career. Yeah. What I'd like to say is that you know that. I feel, you know, I, maybe I'm biased, but I, I'm very optimistic about the future. I feel that all the people making the laws are also very optimistic about this future. It's just that they have to protect several interests and several things need to align. And And I feel that over a period of time, those will align. And yes. and what you don't want to do is wait for all that time and then make that decision because then, you know, already the system is, is in place. Like I think today is the day when you have to make that choice. Yes. And I feel that things will fall into place and Web3 yes. will continue to thrive, will continue to grow. We will continue, to see amazing things, you know, yeah. which we've never seen, you know, in in technology before. And I think, yeah, I think we're signing up for some super if you're signing up for Web3, you're signing up for a super exciting decade at least. Oh absolutely. In terms of learning, growth, everything. So so yeah. yeah. So that's the other message I would like to say that the regulators are also getting there. So yeah. So you have to be here today.
0: Oh, totally, totally. Hundred percent. And change is scary, you know, in for anyone, for in any industry, change is scary, but you have to embrace it or at least be curious about, you know, why is that change even happening? So yes, uh, yes. that Kind of and I saw the same thing. Like I was CEO for a esports company. And I, mm-hmm. I saw the same thing in esports and people dismissing it that you know, why would you want to watch other people play games? But then you watch other people play sports, you watch other right, people right, saying it because you are you cannot be as good as them because they're spending 12 to 14 hours a day gaming <laughs> to be the right. best. Spectator sport, just like any other sport. Just yeah. like any other sport. And the interesting thing was esports was so similar. Our startup. Was fully remote. We had no headquarters. Was fully yeah. remote. We used to build software to run tournaments, esports tournaments, and stuff. So, and then we used to use Discord instead of emails and Slack and other. And so, when Web three oh, came, and oh, I was like, Discord. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we have <were> always been <laughs> using Discord. So it well, was great. because the esports is all about like the same about community and stuff and everything. So it just, and that's why I think gaming will play a big role in adoption for Web3 as well. And another thing about the ZK testnet. We are definitely, I talked with the developers and the Mm -hmm. company, we are definitely going to add that to our testnet. And with that, I would like to thank you, Arjun. Thank you for your time and wish you best of luck with everything that you and your team are building. For those of you who are interested in learning about creating smart contracts or learning how to use blockchain and this Web3 technology effectively, you can go and look at products like cookbook.dev, where you can use those sort of platforms for free, create your own smart contracts. You do not even need to learn how to code because it is more like a no code platform and a smart contract marketplace also check out polygon polygon technology you can find all the links in the description or in the comment section thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the web 3 with sam Money podcast you know the drill leave a comment please subscribe or share it with a friend now if you are building something really interesting in this space then reach out to me my dms are open I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform just go and search for my name reach out to me I would love to help you I would love to have a conversation with you so having said that I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building I know that about 35 to 40 percent of my listeners are founders themselves so I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation